0: Hello, welcome to uh, Property with a View. I'm Mike Harlow, and in this uh, series of podcasts, brought on behalf of the Digital Property Market Steering Group, we talk to leaders from across the conveyancing sector about how uh, the process is today and how uh, we can change things for the better, so that it is less stressful, easier to convey residential and commercial property, and uh, more efficient. Today, I'm joined by. Rob Hailstone uh, of Bold Legal Group, but uh, I think way more importantly, uh, Rob Hailstone I think is, is held up, if I can um, embarrass him a bit, uh, as, uh, as a sort of wise elder of the residential conveyancing market. I certainly know from personal experience how people look to him for an understanding of how things are today to kind of tell people uh, how things are for conveyancers and, and, and what the job feels like and what they need But also they look to him for advice on how it is changing and uh, how they uh, need to be able to respond to that and uh, to cope in their businesses and and personally with the changes ahead. Um, He uh, has not been a practicing convencer for 15 years, but prior to that was uh, a lawyer uh, for 30 years at the coalface and now heads up the Bold Legal Group, which gives that sort of practical advice about um, how to navigate the changing world of commencing to law firms that represent about a third of all commencing in England and Wales, I believe. Rob, welcome.
1: Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Mike, and uh, hello. Um, I don't think I can argue with the elder bit, but I might argue a little bit with the wise bit.
0: Well um I I think it's unarguable because uh, I see you know h- how people come to you for those uh, those sort of telltale bits of advice on, on on how to handle things today talking of things today um I, I know I, we I kind of want to jump in the helicopter with you uh, possibly the best co-pilot I can think of to to get up to you know 20,000 feet and have a look down on on where things are today and where they've been and where they might be heading but just before we do um the, Last tail end of last week, let's jump straight in. The National Trading Standards issued guidance to state agents saying, although the law on uh, what information they should disclose as part of marketing for uh, of a residential property has not changed, they uh, now um, have expanded and given much more detailed guidance on what they think estate agents uh, should disclose as part of um, the sales information. Um, is is this? a very significant change it's is it the thing that's going to tip the balance and make the difference and and allow people to see much more of what they're buying so that the process is simpler for the for the buyer simpler for the conveyances
1: um that's a good question and this subject is is very close to my heart as many people will know um I I was an ex-home information pack provider. There I've raised the dreaded word HIP already um, back in the day, and I was producing HIPs between 2007 and 2010. I saw HIPs as a way for conveyancers to get involved in the home buying and selling process earlier on. I felt, who better to produce a home information pack, which had legal documents in it, than a conveyancer? So very briefly, we set up a business, myself and OEA Straker, to um, produce home information packs. And what we would do is we would produce um, the, the business, would produce the, the basic hip as quickly as possible. Right. Then we call on a conveyancer and say, right, have a look at this pack, work out what documents are missing that would be needed to help speed up the process, make it as exchange ready as possible. And they would look at that, they would get the additional transfers and guarantees, etc., scan them, upload them, put them into the HIP, and then by the time the property had been sold, or a buyer had been found, rather, yeah. we would have an almost exchange-ready pack. Right. Um, now, we were doing that differently to all the other HIP providers, and it was beginning to work. It was beginning to reduce fall-through r- rates and speed up transaction times. So when HIPs were were scrapped, you know, I was uh, upset, to say the least. Uh, we had to make our staff redundant, et cetera, et cetera. Now, when I set up BOLD, yep. BOLD was supposed to stand for a bundle of legal documents right. because I <laughs> – right. there's something yeah, – a method in my madness, I guess, because uh, I still believe in in information up front. Yeah. Now, you know, don't get me wrong, it's not a silver bullet. There are no silver bullets to um, improving the way we buy and sell property. There's a lot of things that yeah. need, you know, modernizing and changing, etc. Yeah. But I think as far as these new changes uh, with material information is concerned, so we had phase A come in last year, I think, or earlier this year, and now we've got phases B and C. Uh, phase C will include things like restrictions, restrictive covenants, easements, etc. And I think that's where conveyancers can get involved. So going back to your, your question, you know, will it change things? No, it won't change things overnight. Um, it's gonna be a very slow burn. Agents won't want to do it. It's quite complex, it's new. Mm. I think the policing and enforcement will be slow, mm. but it will be a gradual thing. And I am pushing my members, those who believe in information up front or material information, and I think there's a big difference between material information and information up front. Yep. Material information is for the consumer. Yep. Information up front, upfront information, I think, is for the conveyancer to help speed up the conveyancing process. So at the moment, we've introduced material information. It, as I say, it's going to be a slow burn before it's taken up. Could be a year or so. Yep. But I think that might be the catalyst for full upfront information later on.
0: It's also material to the consumer though to know that the transaction when it's in the hands of the conveyancer is going to go quickly because i think what you're saying is the material information is helps me make a buying decision is it everything that i might worry about as a buyer but there's a broader pack of information that the conveyancer needs to see and if the consumer knew that it was going to go faster in the conveyances hands if the conveyancer had that pack up front as well then it is also in the consumers interest isn't it so so isn't there a you know isn't there a kind of just the job's not fully done until you've got got it all available up front
1: no absolutely I mean yes yes you you can uh, inform the potential buyer better with material information before they make an offer yeah. so they don't make an offer on the wrong property yeah. which is what this is about I think but to speed up the process you need the searches you need yeah. the inquiries you need the transfer etc in the upfront information pack so you do need the two and yes by speeding up the process and making it less stressful, you are benefiting the consumer, of course. I
0: think we might come back to that when we're talking a little bit more about the, the role of the conveyancer today and, and, and in the future. But the, the first thing I want to ask is, is um, what is it like to be a conveyancer today? Now, I know you—you know—you said at the beginning you haven't done it for 15 years yourself, but you know a lot of people who do. What's it like?
1: Well, it's nothing like what it used to be when I was doing conveyancing, unfortunately. And I think the, the turning point was pretty, pretty much uh, between the 20th and the 21st century. Um, you've got a very broad church of conveyances out there now. Uh, you know, back in my day, it used to be a, a partnership. Now you've got a lot of, sole, not, not so many sole practitioners. You've got sole practitioners, you've got companies, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You've got volume conveyancers, you've got high street firms, you've got very small high street firms. And I think um, it's a different experience for, for all of those people working in their different offices. And I think they have different views on what it is like to be a conveyancer today and, and what the experience is like. Many conveyancers would say the system is a bit creaky, perhaps, but not broken. They don't feel that buyers and sellers should be rushed into selling and buying a property. They think they should have time to think about this, the, basically the biggest purchase and sale of their lives. Yeah. Um, it's a stressful business. It's misunderstood. You know, I think conveyances get very frustrated at being chased by agents, brokers, lenders, everybody else. And I think in many ways, they are, you know, the unsung heroes. It's not much fun, but when you help somebody exchange contracts or buy the property of their, their dreams, I think that's what makes it worthwhile. So what's the difference
0: is it, it, it always been a bit like that, or what's the difference between um, how it was for you, say, 30 years ago, and how it is today, in terms of what the job looks like? You know, we'll, we'll perhaps come on to the, the nature of the organizations, but the job itself.
1: I think it's almost unrecognizable, to be honest. Um, You know, when I was uh, uh, doing my conveyancing in in the late 90s, et cetera, last doing it, early 2000s, um, I would say I had about seven seven plates to keep spinning at any one time. So, you know, inquiries and searches and title checking. Nowadays, the modern conveyance has got, I reckon, 15 or 20 plates to keep spinning because we've got so many new things to look at and deal with. You've got ID, you've got source of funds, you've got anti-money laundering, you've now got the Building Safety Act, Uh, we've got leasehold changes coming, SDLT is far more complex than it ever used to be, and of course, we've got climate change issues to look at. It's mission, I, I don't call it mission creep anymore, I call it mission stomp because it just keeps coming and coming at the conveyancer totally unrecognisable job i think and is
0: that a, i mean it's clearly more work and more, makes makes it more complicated and therefore I, I, I guess is a is a reason for thinking that you can't expect it to be you know as easy as it was that that you know the the nature of the job has changed but do you think any of those roles are unfair or wrong to you know for the conveyancer to be fulfilling is there something you know too much burden being placed on one part of the system
1: i think conveyances think that definitely okay. yeah and and they don't want the government to start uh, sorry to start tinkering with sdlt again anytime soon um, yes we possibly need the new leasehold changes uh, that are on on the cards now um, we need id acts obviously if, uh, because of the fraud issue and the terrorism issue some of these things are absolutely needed but some are not sure about whether we should be the gatekeepers for everything, i.e. You know, climate change, whether we should be collecting inland revenue money, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it, there's just too many things now for one conveyancer to do. Um, they like to be experts on everything, but they're being turned into jack-of-all-trades if you're not careful, because there's so many things. I,
0: I, I wonder whether one of the reasons is that um, if you're looking for somebody you know whose professionalism and uh, enables them to take on a responsibility in the process the sort of positive if you like of that is that you know there in the middle sits the conveyancer who you know is is a regulated legal professional and therefore somebody who can um you know take on something that that you know the in policy terms people think is really important to do so um I'm not saying it makes that makes it better or the right choice. It's just a it's a reflection on the responsibility and the and the ability of conveyancers to fulfil that role, isn't
1: it? Yeah, I think so, and I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there when you say regulated. You know, they are regulated. They are professional. They do have professional indemnity insurance and all sorts of other insurances now. Cybersecurity, maybe, yeah. um, and some of the other stakeholders in the business don't have that. For example, estate agents. Yeah. We hope one day they will become regulated. Regulated, so why not put all the pressure um, on the regulated one? And that's where the responsibility lies, where the buck stops, yeah. and where the compensation payment would come out. I can see why it's done, but I think it's very unfair at times.
0: Is it an attractive career? Would you um, Would you advise? Somebody, uh, you know, thinking about what to do next um, uh, in their, you know, late teens, early 20s to, to, to go into it?
1: I think I've famously or infam- infamously said on more than one occasion, if any of my children said they wanted to be a conveyancer, I'd lock them in the garage and throw away the key until they changed their mind. Um, I don't know how really- you would
0: know, but uh, how would uh, three bangs on the door or something, is that how you'd find out whether they changed their mind or not? <laughs> they might just be eventually hungry and <laughs>
1: thirsty, I guess, and change their mind. Right. Um, but no, I, I suppose I say that partly in jest because it, it is still an enjoyable job. And as I said, when you when you get to the exchange part, when you get to the com- completion part, it's great. Um, you get many, many thank you cards and bottles of wine and chocolates from clients. As I said earlier, I think they are the unsung hero- heroes. They don't shout about it enough what they do, yeah. which is why um, – we, we, we introduced this year national conveyancing week for the first time we're having a second national conveyancing week next year um to, to play up the role of conveyancers and try and explain it to a much wider audience and let them celebrate what they do for a week so no it's not something i push somebody into but but I think if you look at it and you think you've got the aptitude for it and you can handle the pressure and stress um it, it is an exciting challenging job at times and it's it is Emotionally rewarding,
0: and I've done nothing like your level of experience of residential conveyancing. I did a little bit when I was in private practice, but um, I suspect that your experience and my experience of how that client relationship worked is possibly also different in, in certain parts of the uh, uh, of the sector now than it was then. But so if I'm if i not bought a house ever or not bought one for one. For, you know, for a long time and I instruct a lawyer, would it be right in thinking that person would be my lawyer and I would have you know a direct contact and relationship with them and they would have conduct of the matter throughout? Or is that a slightly um, old fashioned, naive view of how it works these days?
1: No, I, I think thankfully there, there's, there's two systems, possibly even more. Um, there's still plenty of high street firms out there uh, where you'd have one lawyer carry out the transaction from start to finish, and you can go in and see him or her in the office. Um, there's the, the other side of it, uh, the, the bigger players, where maybe most of it is carried out online. And I think it's probably a generational thing as to which kind of service you would want. Obviously, the older person would probably prefer to go in and see the conveyancer in the in, in their local high street, whereas probably the younger person who likes to do everything online now would prefer just to... Um, deal with everything remotely,
0: and, and so in, the, and I can understand that. So if you, um, you know, if you want to just deal with it on your mobile phone on your way into work, um, then you know you want you, the, at the other end of it, it's got to be a digital casework system that you know you can keep up to date with. Um, but is, is the kind of meaningful and and, and sort of uh, valuable bit of being a conveyancer that having that connection with the customer, as you described it, and and you know them knowing that there's somebody expert-wise at the other end of the, you know, text message, phone, whatever it is, however you communicate?
1: I I think, again, it depends on the client. Um, You know, if I take my car into a garage and they repair it, I don't really want to know what they've done as long as it comes out and it drives properly. i think. That's the case with some people with conveyance. They don't really want to know what you're doing behind the scenes unless something goes wrong or there's a problem or something they should know about. They just want to get from A to B to C, i.e. offer to exchange to completion. Um, And I think that's the modern world now. And, of course, we're in the Amazon society, where it has to be done today or tomorrow, whereas there's still a lot of older clients, I think, who – who want to know what's going on. And again, it probably depends if you're a first-time buyer or a second-time buyer or a third-time buyer yeah. uh, as to what experience you have got and haven't got and what experiences you've been through in the past. Um, you might have some more relevant questions if you've bought and sold a few times. Yeah, I understand.
0: So when you're talking to your your members and other people out in the in, in the sector, um, what what would be the kind of you know top three things that they would say Rob, if you, with all your influence, could change just three things to make my you know, life less stressful, my job more enjoyable, my business more profitable, what are those sorts of things that you would, they'd tell you?
1: I think oh, the top three th- things, I might get them in the wrong order, I might even get the wrong three things, but um, I think probably some firms, some conveyancers would now say, uh, better training on the part of some conveyancers. A lot of young conveyancers in the business now who haven't been it for very long. And I remember when my my second boss, I started work with my second boss. He said to me um, something like, "It will take you 12 years to learn how to do conveyancing." Right. And now nearly nearly 50 years on. I'm still learning how to do conveyancing. So it was very wide of the mark. We, we have an online forum and questions are posted on there by experienced conveyancers day in and day out. And it amazes me that they're still asking questions, even though they're 10, 20, 30 years into the, into the industry and profession. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it's very difficult.
0: So knowledge of how to navigate those issues, particularly when they are new issues like, um, you know, fire safety and things like that, come up, is 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 a perennial need.
1: What- yeah, and not allowing somebody, with, with, sorry, with very little training, to come into it and take over a case on day one or, or month three or month six. Yeah. Or even- so oh,
0: so learning not just. Learning it as a as a process, but being able to experience the the kind of permutations and combinations that come in the in, in real life is that the it's very similar yeah. to case working at land registry. You know, you can learn a process, and then of course the first case that you actually deal with is one that the training never covered because it you know it has a twist or a turn that you know, and and that's when experience tells us that.
1: Yeah, I, I, and I think also a second point would be. Um, to restrict the number of inquiries that some firms raise. Right. Uh, we have the Law Society conveyancing quality Screen, which is a great idea yeah. and a great concept. Um, but I think many firms do not stick to that. And they ask additional inquiries without actually thinking about what they're asking, without having looked at the documentation that's been put in front of them. Yeah. And it's very frustrating for conveyancers to have to answer those inquiries time and time again, but they're not actually relevant. So some way of restricting the inquiries uh, would help.
0: And what about, uh, is there just a simple bit of grind in the job? You know, you talked earlier about people phoning each other up all the time to kind of find out where, you know, where things are. Um, uh, and it, it, are there things that, you know, technology would even if we didn't understand how the technology worked, we just know that could be taken away. That bit there could just make life so much easier. You know, I still need to understand fire safety. I still need to understand, you know, how to advise. I need to know what's a good process for identifying people and source of funds, et cetera. But I don't actually need to do it. Is that is, is that something people wish existed just to...
1: Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I think there's quite a lot of good tech out there at the moment, and there's more coming in every day. In fact, sometimes there's too much for the conveyances to look, look at, so right. I adopt this system or that system. Um, the problem with technology, of course, is, um, as with the recent cybersecurity incident which has happened, um, it can go down from time to time. Yeah. Um, but I think that you know, there's always going to be the, the grind that you have to do. It's a different grind now. Uh, we used to check on registered titles, which could take hours and hours. Now, obviously, titles are, are registered. So that is usually a quicker process. I think what would be helpful, dare I say, it would be some kind of chain view so that the other participants don't have to email or phone up the client all the time and say, where are we at? When's the search is coming back? When's the registration going to be completed, et Etc. et cetera. So a chain view. And I know we've been there in the past, yeah. but something like, like that would really help.
0: So um, if, if everyone could see the same information about the property, the same information about the parties, the same information about where things were at, so the, you know, the progress of the buyer doing the searches or whatever, then you could just access that passively is what you're saying, rather than having to phone somebody to phone somebody to kind of find out what's going on.
1: And, and even something as uh, uh, simple as um, the complete chain, knowing who's in the complete chain. Many years ago, I was, yeah. I was in the chain. Like 12 transactions. I was at the top selling a probate property. Nothing was happening. I couldn't get it to move. I had to chase all the way down uh, about 11 other transactions to find out what was holding it up, only to find out I was at the bottom with acting for a first-time buyer, and they're waiting for their mortgage offer. Now, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have to take two weeks chasing it. It really is helpful to know who is in the chain, even if it's only conveyancing firms and estate agents.
0: So you mentioned there that... Um- People, you know, there's a lot of technology coming on the market. Do you think people find it easy to to know what to buy? Because what you just described there—if you said this does that—then presumably people would bite your hands off. But um, is that is that what it feels like when they're being, you know, given marketing materials for the latest widget?
1: Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, I get two or three different companies every week asking if they can demo their new products and services to me, so that I can then promote them to my members. Um, and unfortunately a lot of these products and uh, businesses just disappear a few months later even though the people behind them put a lot of money into them and um, a lot of time and effort into them everybody thinks they've got the best solution for the conveyancing or, or home buying and selling problem and they come and go very very quickly mm. and if I've um, if, if I'm short on trying to see these things then certainly my my members who are at the coalface are short in time to see them. So I try and filter them through a bit if I can, but even that's difficult. If um, let's assume
0: technology in whatever form could do the best that it could do, how much better could it be? From um, and just talk about from a process point of view, not from uh, from a convincing career point of view for the moment. Um, yeah, you know, how what what do you think? If somebody said, you know, uh, you've done 30 years in, in this business, um, uh, you, you know, you and everyone else should know what good looks like. How good should it be if everything, if everyone played their part and everything was running well? How easy should it be, really?
1: Well, I, well, I think the, the, the time it takes to complete the average transaction should uh, be reduced substantially. You know, it's now nearly six months, apparently. Yeah. That should halve. Um, it shouldn't really take much longer in an ideal world to get uh, to exchange in, say, more than four weeks, and then another two, three, four weeks to complete if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Um, all these things are possible, and all these things have happened in the past. The problem we've got over here, of course, in, in England and Wales is we're in a chain situation often. Um, and I, I, I used to try and explain to my clients what a chain was like. And I say, picture a big, big jigsaw. With yeah. 600 jigs- 6 six one hundred piece jigsaws in the middle of it, yeah. and if there's one piece missing from one of those six jigsaws, you can't exchange contracts and you can't complete any of those jigsaws. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that worked for my clients; they're always slightly confused. <laughs> it
0: works in my mind. Yeah, no, I I, I, I completely get it. Um, so, Katja, that, that you you said four weeks to exchange. What what would those four weeks? Be doing why can't i just um you know auction contracts you it's already right so the information's all there why can't i go go straight to contract what 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 do lawyers need four weeks to do
1: well it, as, as we touched on earlier you know it's the aml as the source of funds it's the id yeah. checks then you have to request your searches which take time to come back yeah. you have to wait for the contract pack to come in from the other side they might have only just been instructed and that might take them a little while to get out yeah you might not even hit the ground running for two or three weeks, to be honest, sure. which is why with a new material information changes, trading standards are saying, get a conveyancer instructed on day one if you can, certainly yeah. if you're a seller. Um, and also, if, if you're thinking about, buyer, go, about buying, go and see your conveyancer. And then you can you can take two, three, four weeks, I, I believe.
0: So that would help. So um, piecing that together, then, you, you're saying yeah. that the – the estate agent is helped because the lawyer can help the estate agent understand what material information would be in the sale. Um, because that's, that you know looking at the list in the guidance, that looked like not the most straightforward thing to do. Um, but also could prepare the contract pack, which is the thing that has all the other information that the buying lawyer will need to see. And then that takes quite a few of those steps that would, Lead you up to exchange out of that four weeks, doesn't it? Because I think the ID and the source of funds yeah. is more about you know you talking to your own customer about that.
1: Yeah, it would, it would bring it all forward. The yeah. problem I think we've got, or the agents got in particular, is selling the concept, selling the idea to yeah. the seller. Yeah. because there's probably going to be an upfront cost. And we don't know what that upfront cost will be at the moment. Yeah. I carried out a survey with my members a little while back and said, what would you charge to put together a basic conveyancing pack? Yeah. And the um, the figures range from £50 to £500. Hopefully they're thinking about different kinds of packs there, but that's a massive difference in, in price. Um, and if the agent down the road is saying to their seller, you can put the property in the market and it's going to cost you nothing, yeah. Then they might have an advantage, unless the agent who's promoting the pack can explain cu- quite cu- clearly how that will help progress the transaction, make it less stressful, yeah. and make it quicker. And they, I think they've got to be trained, and they have to understand how that would happen. There's a lot of industry
0: backing for this. There, I mean, there's a lot of um, uh, you know participants from across the across the sector have taken part in the in the discussions with the trading standards. So if if it became a sort of, you know, sector norm, a market norm that, um, you know, this property is, I don't know, sale ready, fast sale ready or whatever. And, you know, people felt able to put a kite mark on it because that preparation had been done. Doesn't that, uh, doesn't that kind of bring the incentive back onto the seller if they're genuinely thinking of, you know selling to look like they're genuinely thinking of selling rather than dipping a toe in the market by by investing in the pack if you sort of mean so isn't that is there a is there are a means to an end there in terms of creating the right incentives
1: yeah i i think if the public realized if there was a kite mark on a sale uh, on a property that was for sale it might go through quick, quicker and easier um then they might make an offer on that property rather than the one next door um, I think the problem we've got at the moment now with material information is how will uh, trading standards police it and enforce it? It's a, yeah. it's a big task for them to do that. And they've got very limited resources. My feeling is, and I think I've been told or hinted at that, they'll try and enforce it through the portals. So the big portals will not be allowed eventually maybe to take on a property unless it complies with phases A, B and C of the uh, material information guidance. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so if if you
0: have got to the stage where um, you know the sellers either the price is relatively modest, so it doesn't make you know it doesn't make much of a difference whether the seller uh, you know spends fifty quid on prepping prepping for marketing. Um, you um, do I take it right that you're thinking it you know it could be a process where the conveyancer you know joins in with the estate agent to Make a decent pack. That pack's then available, helps the buying decision, but it's also ready for the the purchases convince her to kind of receive and, and deal with. So it could be more like, or you know, it could get close to being more like an auction process. I don't mean auction as in you know bidding up. I just mean yeah,
1: you know, the ability,
0: ability once you've once you've you know had your offer accepted to go pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if I was at the coal face now, I would be talking or I would have been talking months ago to to my estate agent. Uh, contacts to say look, material sorry material information phase a is here good. b and C is coming in we think this is what it's going to include you can't put this together on your, your own can i help you with that how are we going to do that what are we going to charge how, how long is it going to take and a couple of my members have already gone out since last week and spoken to their estate agents and are already helping me helping them find a way around this oh, very good. and so already said they're creating new 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 business contacts because of it yeah, yeah i think yeah. I see this as a conveyancer as an opportunity and not a threat very good and the
0: a, a question i i have always had in my head and i suspect you're absolutely the best person to try and answer it is when I, um and it, it comes from speaking to people in other jurisdictions because um you probably know i i uh, land registries talk to each other because um, we don't—we're not in competition, and uh, um, you know we have similar similar challenges. So I talk to people in you know Australia and New Zealand and and yeah, Norway and Holland, and when you talk to them uh, and you say, "Yeah, but how do you deal with the problem of chains?" They say, "Sorry, what's a chain?" Yeah. Um, and you think that's weird, right? So why is it that we have developed this habit of insisting? That I cannot possibly sell unless I've also bought, you know, at the same, literally at the same minute past the same hour on the same day. And I I asked them, why, you know, why don't you have chains? Because surely people end up sort of being, being, feeling a bit insecure. Now, without wishing to delve too deep into national psyche, um, one of the things that does seem to be different is the ease with which you can, the speed with which you can buy and sell seems to break people's anxiety about having to do it all at the same time. So, you know, if you if you if you sort of hypothesize that, you know, people worry about being out of the market, because you know, you sell the amount of money you've then got is fixed. And then you think, oh, I wonder if you know if the property market's going to go roaring away, then I, I'm going to actually buy, be able to buy a, a smaller house than the one I sold if you know if I can't buy quickly. But if you can buy quickly, then your anxiety about being in a you know needing to be in a chain perhaps falls away. But that 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 that's just me theorising, right? It, it does, do you have any sense of why we have chains and whether it might it could be different that people might not want to form chains or need to form chains in the future?
1: I, I, I think you're completely right, Mike. Probably uh, mm-hmm. because of the length of time it takes to buy a property at the moment, or any any time in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't want to sell your property and go out and rent another one. For any particular length of time, you're eating into your savings. As you say, the property price, this is sorry, property prices could go up. Um, You could be at a massive disadvantage. Um, But it does work, as you say, no chains, I think, in in Australia and Norway and countries like that. That's just part of the psyche over there now, isn't it? Um, Maybe if we can reduce transaction times over here, we'll also lose chains and it'll be a, a win win.
0: It makes it seems to make things much more nimble, right? So all the a lot of those complexities. You're just dealing with back to your your puzzle analogy. You're just dealing with one six hundred piece puzzle, not not six six hundred piece puzzles, you know, in a in a massive larger puzzle. So um,
1: I think also thinking, you know, from my point of view, if I was selling and, and not buying at the same time, you might have to go into temporary accommodation where you can't put all of, all of your furniture, yeah. so you have to put storage. So you have the physical aspect of yeah. moving twice. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't really see how it works, but I know it does work in other countries, like you said. You
0: know, who knows? It, it may just be one of those things that now we've got used to it, we'll never, we'll, you know, we'll never not <laughs> not expect it and not want it. But it 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 does, as you said earlier, it, it's that loss of control, not knowing what's going on for you, the commancer or, or, you know, or the client at the other end of the chain that makes it so stressful, isn't it? Because that mismatch of, Knowledge and an ability to deal with it is really,
1: really hard, and probably also psychologically. Not actually owning a property at any one time, even right. if it's only for a day or two. Yeah. You know, an Englishman's castle is his home or her home these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my God, I don't own a property for the next three weeks, three months, year. Yeah. Uh, that, that worries people. Yeah. I think yeah. having got on the ladder.
0: Yeah. Now, um, you you um, represent. Uh, very very well and very uh volubly your members in all issues and uh, it's only right and proper that um uh you get a chance to ask uh me questions uh, about you know anything you would like uh, this is your opportunity to say what you'd like not just answer my questions so and, and i know you um asked a few of your members uh what points uh what questions you'd like to ask or what points you'd like to make so um I kind of, i'm gonna hand hand the, the baton over to you for a bit of bit of the interview
1: Okay, Michael. Well, I've got four or five questions here. Um, the first one, you know what it's going to be. Um, yeah. We all know what it's going to be. Um, it's not even the elephant in the room, is it? Really, it's just in the room. It's the backlog. Yeah. What is being done to ta- tackle the backlog? Have you got more staff? It, you know, when is it, when, when can we see an end to it? Please. Yeah. Um, uh, c- quite quite right and proper to raise it.
0: Uh, it. Uh, you know, we talked about all the things that are making life difficult. Clearly, having a lot of cases post-completion is difficult. I know from, you know, my times in private practice, what you really want to do post-completion is um, do the stamp duty, send it off to land registry, don't get any requisitions, just hope it comes back, you know, um, uh, registered, bill, close, move on to the next matter. And Obviously, having that many cases open for you as conveyances uh, is hard work, and it's and it and it should it shouldn't be so. And you know we're sorry for that. Um, the reason it is that way is is actually a, a reason that we have to address systemically because whenever there's been a housing boom, there's been a backlog because there is only one land registry, and you know whenever there's a spike in demand, we don't have people waiting in the wings to kind of take up that slack um we have uh though had this problem for some time so it's you know it's it's now right and proper for you know the challenge to be um uh to us to be why haven't you dealt with it and where's it going currently we we are reducing the oldest case um it's uh, it, it, it's coming down quite significantly. It's around about 18 months at the moment. We're targeting no case older than 12 months in spring next year. We have about 800 people in training, plus those people who would, most of them be doing casework who are doing the training of those people. That's a really substantial investment. It's the biggest single investment I think Land Registry's ever made in bringing people up to speed with those more complex cases. In the next few weeks, so uh, by mid-January, some of them are coming out of training now, but by mid-January, all of them would have come out of training. They're not going to be, you know, obviously they're going to take a little while, as we explained earlier, to kind of, you know, go from training to to building up their experience, but they will add considerably to our capacity. And by the time we get, uh, you know, to February next year, uh, we should be seeing um, the the age of the oldest cases, which is already coming down, coming down even faster and beyond that. On that road to to you know no backlogs, everything being done in a reasonable period of time. I think we'll get there, and I'll give you you know let's come back and I'll give you a, a more a, a firmer prediction beyond no case older than twelve months in spring next year as to when we actually get down to you know more like a few weeks rather than months for for all cases. In the meantime, there's a lot of you know a lot of the simpler cases, obviously being as as, as your members will know, a lot, a lot of the simpler cases being dealt with really quickly. In the future. Um, we must not this must be the last backlog this this must never happen again um and again when you talk to land registries around the world they too have always had this problem where there was, there's been a housing boom there's only one land registry everything has to go through them they don't you know no one's going to pay for 10 years worth of having people waiting in the wings waiting for a spike in demand so um it ends up with a backlog and 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 that's the history you know we have and they've had but they've been able to some of them have been on a process of automating the simpler cases, which means when, it, when there is a spike in demand now, uh, the computers cope because they're relentless, they work through the night, uh, and you can focus more of your effort and, and resilience on those more complex cases.
1: Okay, thanks for that, Mike. And as you say, let's revisit that maybe in March or April next year. Yeah. And hopefully these 800 new people will have broken the back of it. Um, but following on from that, Is there any way that um, the land registry can stop lenders from chasing the conveyancer constantly? Is there something that HMLR can do electronically?
0: Yes. Um, It's almost like I set you up with this question, Rob. Um, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) Because I've come from a meeting just now where we were talking with the lenders saying, Right, so uh, and we, we we have a private beta that we're just about to start with with a you know quite a substantial number of lenders where they are going to receive information on where their application is and they are saying that they will as a result um, chase chase only the exceptional cases and what they mean by the exceptional cases is those where um, you know it's out of priority application time and yet we haven't received an application or uh, the application's come in, it's been dealt with. But they haven't; their charge hasn't been registered. So, in other words, you know the kind of vanishing small number of cases where it's sort of slipped into the gaps. Um, that's only right and proper. Uh, you know, they are the lender and the buyer are actually the applicants. The conveyances are just their agents, really. So they should be able to know this. And and you know, if if our, if our systems and our information wasn't a glorious hundred and sixty years of inheritance of you know different ways of doing things. It would have been far easier and quicker to be able to do that, but I'm very pleased that you know uh, early next year we'll be we'll be able to kind of do much more on that and and um, uh, help help conveyances out that way because it is it is a it's it's it a pain that.
1: So hopefully, sometime next year, then conveyances can see some end to the constant chasing they get from some lenders.
0: Um, I I watch this space, but I don't think you're going to have to watch the space very long in the new year to find out much more about this year.
1: Okay, okay. A a, a couple more um, quick ones, if I may, then. Um, Somebody emailed me and said, um, what are your views on the role of property logbooks? And are there any barriers to prevent HMLR encouraging regulated adoption through its property registration process? Are are you liaising with logbook companies? Yeah, I, I, I...
0: spoken with a few of them and the Logbook Association on on several occasions. I think, um, as you were saying earlier, if everyone uh, shares the same uh, information through a transaction and everyone is able to trust that information, things work much better. What would be always really disappointing, of course, is that really good information, invested, paid for during the conveyancing process. If that just hits the bin, at the end of the process, and isn't kept by the new owner, and a lot of it reused on the next sale, then that's a complete waste. Um, I know some of it needs to be renewed. It, you, know, you do need probably a you know a new survey, but I've always said one of the uh, I re- when I bought my house, it had subsidence, uh, and there were still cracks. What I really wanted to know was: Were those cracks there five years ago? <laughs> I could see what they were now, uh, and of course, the surveyor looks at them and says, uh, "Yeah, there are cracks. I don't think they're progressive, but I can't tell you for certain." And you think, what well, I really want to know is what survey did the you know the people who I'm buying from get, and what did that say? Because if that said, "Yeah, the you know the cracks look absolutely the same," I think logbooks as a means of uh, holding information about a property. And therefore, holding its value and, and and making the next transaction easy, I think is 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 kind of a great great and obvious thing to do, really.
1: Yeah, and then in theory, at least the log book b- then becomes the material information or upfront information for the or part of it for the next sale.
0: Yeah, the, it, it certainly becomes the kind of richest source, doesn't it? And then um, uh, you know, and then making sure that the, the kind of vital up-to-date information like the latest title from Land Registry, and, you know, local land charges and things like that just become just become more about due diligence and compliance rather than expecting it to throw up a major surprise, yeah.
1: So just two, two, two more relatively quick questions, I think, then. Will um, applications for first registrations ever become fully electronic? And if so, when?
0: Um, our vision is for that is is set effectively yes uh our vision for first registration services is you would apply online um obviously submitting the deeds um you could do electronically for most deeds i think sometimes it possibly would still be you know necessary to have the originals but um that's kind of getting into the into the weeds of it but yeah there's 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 no reason why it couldn't be it's just not you know, in all the other things that we need to invest in and, and, and make better for people, it's never quite made it to the you know that bit of the priority list, but it's definitely on our, on our agenda. Yeah.
1: Maybe once the backlogs crack, then it, that is undoubtedly our first priority.
0: But, 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 but you know, in all seriousness, that they're not unrelated, right? And, and you know, people have said, Why is land registry involved in the you know digital property market steering group? Um, we're only one of, you know, 12 bodies in it any, anyway. But there are. if we are going to make for a resilient and efficient system, then it, all bits of it have got to be, you know, working digitally. You, you talked earlier about how um, you get approached by lots of businesses selling tech and how, you know, commancers don't find it the easiest thing to know what to buy. And I think part of that is because... not sure how it's all going to join up you know i might am i going to be able to connect you know what i do here with you know what firm b over there's doing and um so that's kind of what the steering group is about is just making sure it will all join up and work and you get the overall result the overall benefits not just you know possibly you know this might work if ever you know because a lot of things only work if everyone does them if that happens, then we will be more efficient and more resilient as a result of the rest of the process being digital as well. So investment in um, you know how the market works, how the process works, how conveyancing works from our point of view is in part about making sure that we are able to provide a better and more resilient service in the future.
1: Okay, and just one question off the top of my head, uh, really. Um, do you get um, too many applications where, Requisitions need to be raised, and they shouldn't need to be raised. And does that sometimes cause part of the backlog because you're working on those problems and you shouldn't be? Uh,
0: yes. yes, quite a lot of the time, actually. Um, the, the, there are there are there, when people apply, um, there are often going to be times when we say actually we need a bit more information here, and it's quite understandable. It's a complex task. Um, there are differences of opinion, um, and and so you know sometimes we requisition things, and it's completely we don't we don't call them avoidable requisitions. We call you know just call them technical requisitions. It's perfectly understandable, um, but a lot of the time we are asking for things that um, you think well if you just paid a little bit more you know diligence and attention to the application. We wouldn't be writing back to you, you, and you wouldn't have to respond back to us. So it's a bit, it's a bit of a, um, a waste on both sides. Um, it, uh, look, I, I don't say that saying, and that therefore means that that's why the backlog is what it is. It certainly isn't, but it is one of those things that I really want to, to you know, to work with the sector to help iron out because some of it is quite easy to do. So we're working on. In, proving increasing the amount of checks that are done as you're typing into the application you know we've all used those forms online where it says uh, you know uh that's not a date or you know that 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 account number doesn't exist uh, so you can't go further without giving information that actually makes sense to you know to the process so we, we're increasing the amount that we can do that that just helps both sides um but i think we also need to you know and uh, you know, work with everybody on just, I guess, I guess, making sure that people see the value of right first-time applications, as right as you possibly can. And if you are genuinely stuck, and and don't sort of send it in, and in hope, ask, you know, uh, seek, seek seek a bit of help.
1: I remember back in my day, if I got a requisition back, I, I used to feel pretty bad about myself, I felt I hadn't done the job properly in the first place. So, that's not today. I didn't get requisitions back. I did, unfortunately, just not too many. I hope. Do you want to just quickly touch on the land charges situation as well while you're here and where you're at with that project?
0: Yeah. So uh, thank you. Um, this is the this is the Rob Hailstone show. I think you've got a new um, a new career in the offing, Rob. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, local land charges uh, for people who um, uh, who don't know is. I would have, you and I would have regarded it as half of the local search, right? So you sent off a local search to uh, local authority and you got back two parts that came from different parts of the local authority, if I remember rightly. Uh, one was a, a statutory register of things local authorities are obliged by law to keep a list of things yeah. like listed buildings, smoke control orders, you know, tree preservation orders. And, um, and the other part was a, an answer to a series of questions in a form unhelpfully called CON-29, because it doesn't tell you what it is, uh, which is just, you know, are they going to build a tram stop outside your house? Or, you know, weirdly, that's the only one I can seem to remember. But um, all of these used to take um, up to several weeks. and In in fact, in sort of habit-forming terms, it's one of the reasons I think that a lot of people thought I'm instructed, I've got six weeks until we exchange at least because that's kind of the time it's going to take for the local search. I mean, is that right? I, I, I just have this vague remem- you know, memory that the, the local search was kind of the thing that dictated the pace in a way, was it?
1: Yeah, I, I think that used to be one of the slower things back in the yeah. day and quite often I'd jump on my motorbike and go down to the local authority offices and do a personal search. Um, and yep. go to four departments and then come back with the result. If I was in a contract race, but yeah, certainly the local did, did take up most of the time, often. I,
0: I will um, tell a little tale out of school. I won't tell which local authority it was, but I, as a as a as a trainee, I was sent off to go and do one because they wanted to you know exchange in twenty four hours or something. Um, and I, and, and you had to walk around, well, I had to, with this local authority, I had to walk around the different departments to get all the bit the different answers. And I went to one place and, and uh, she said, oh, uh, yeah, no, you have to wait for Brendan to come back from lunch. And I said, uh, well, can we not get the answers, you know, from his computer or something? No, they're under his desk. I mean, it was literally a box of paper under his desk. Um, so uh, what land registry has been doing uh, there was a piece of legislation passed a while back uh, that said um we need, you know it'd be great to create a national register of local land charges the ones that they have to legally uh, keep uh, uh, a log of um and even though local authorities are still going to be the person to whom they're sent they will then upload them to a national register we're in the process therefore of digitizing you know 300 plus local authorities records i mean tens of millions of, of, of individual records um, and uh, I memory serves, I think we're over 80 local authorities now. Um, it took quite a while to figure out how to do it to the standard needed. Um, but now you know now we're into 80 local authorities plus we, we've got the machine you know ticking over nicely and it's just a, it's a question of when not if. The, the interesting thing about it go back to upfront information, is of course that makes upfront information really easy because you can now, in a local authority area where at, le- at least this bit, you can now just go online and in seconds have that information when it you know could have taken you days, weeks to get hold of it. So you know if you go back to that incentives and excuses and reasons for not doing upfront information or HIPS or whatever, then that's one of those taken away. And what's what's interesting is okay, what's left then? What else you know if you digitized it? it doesn't make doesn't mean people will grab the information it just makes the reasons for
1: not grabbing it quite vanishingly small um and one final 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 question mike if i may um could you explain what the dp msg is for what it means uh, and what it's doing at the moment please
0: yeah I, i was on a um it's a very fair question i was on a panel the other day, I think you were in the audience and and, and the panel title was not another abbreviation. Now, um, I think in, implicit in that was not another group that is, you know, going to come and uh, save the world, is it? Um, and that's the last thing that, you know, the convincing sector, there's been so many efforts, we've talked about a few over the years to kind of make things different. that. Digital property market steering group is not about saying, "Ah, oh, but we've got a better answer or all those other things, all those other groups can stop because this is, you know, this is it. Um, it's actually taking a completely different view, in my view, which is that um, I think you said it as well. There is no single silver bullet. A lot of things need to happen and they need to happen in a way that joins up. That's hard work. It's not glamorous. It's not easy to communicate, but it's and it's hard work because you've got to see what what's good and encourage and support what's good, not get in their way or get out of their way. Um, but you've also got to make sure that if there are gaps, you've got to think how they're filling them, how we fill them, and how, how to join and join things up. And it's basically a group of all those institutions and bodies and professional bodies, trade bodies, etc., who could help. And um, we're not going to always agree on what needs to be done, but we are all in the same room trying to figure out, um, as I say, you know, what should be just cheered on? What should we get out of the way of? Uh, what do we need to you know do that is not happening that would make a difference? Um, and it's going to be about action. It's not going to be just about talking. Uh, we will uh, shortly be able to publish a, a programme of work with, you know, real Outputs, things that will be delivered in timeframes, consulted upon and delivered. Um, And, um, you know, I'm I'm excited about it uh, because I think that um, all those big grand projects that were going to make a difference over the years were too grand. You know, there was no single one, you know, organization or one single effort that was going to make the difference. It was about hard work. And I think this is the example that Norway and others have shown us, hard work and collaboration across the sector. And that's what this is about. It's about bringing people together. So it's not easy to communicate because there isn't one single thing we're going to do and we're not trying to displace anything that anybody else does. And final thing is that we're we're determined that we do this not just for residential but for for commercial as well. And that's not just about um, uh, needing, you know, thinking that, you know, the, the, the same problems in commercial it's just that actually they all share the same information they share a lot of the same professionals and systems so actually if you try and fix it for one and you're not also trying to you know make it better for the other they're going to conflict and you're and, and neither's going to progress that quickly so it's about making sure that it it, it works across uh, across the property market per se
1: well I, I dearly hope that um all the effort being put in by these, these different groups works because I've got a little bit of survivor's guilt, as you said. At the act, I left conveyancing in two thousand and five, and I pretty much enjoyed it. Enjoyed it up till then, and I'm not sure conveyancers enjoy it now as much as I did. And I would love them to start enjoying it more.
0: Yep, uh, and, and I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I would wish that too. Obviously, and I, and I am optimistic, um, like you, that um, there are things that I know we can do, and I know technology can help us with that. That takes away the things that aren't great about the job and leaves you with the things that will always be needed, which is that uh, expert advice, you know, intelligent support for the customer.
1: Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Mike. I'll stop now. All right.
0: <laughs> well, look, Rob, it's been uh, really great to have you on. Great to talk to you. Um, as I say, I I, I think that your your real-world experience, not just of the career itself, but of, of what goes on today amongst your members and what you're you know, seeing by a way of feedback is fascinating. Thank you very much for joining us, Rob Halston.
1: Thanks for your time, Mike.
0: Lovely. Thank you. Bye. This is Property With A View, available on all the usual platforms. Please do leave a review and a
1: rating.